Bible with me to the book of Isaiah, chapter 53. Isaiah 53, as we uh, take a look at the prophet's message for us this morning. What would you do if you discovered a gift someone had bought for you but was hidden and they intended to give it to you later? That was the, the question that was posed on the radio this week. And the, the, the option that you have is really two things. First of all, would you pretend that you never found it? And then on Christmas Day when the gift was presented to you, would you pretend to be surprised because you did not want to disappoint the person giving you the gift? Or would you be forthcoming and, and tell the individual, hey, I, I found your gift and I'm sorry I found it, but I'm still flattered and I still very much appreciate the gift. You know, what would you do in that situation? Well, I don't have to pretend to understand or guess what my wife would do in that situation. When we first got married and we were living at seminary, living on the campus, I'd, I'd, uh, I'd sought to, to buy her off the Internet a Detroit Red Wings hat. Um, it's a hockey team, for those of you all who, who don't know who they are. And uh, so the hat, I was, I was hoping it was going to be a toboggan, you know, one of the ski caps. And uh, so I, I bought it off of eBay without a picture, and uh, that was my first mistake. And uh, so we lived at, at the seminary, lived on campus, and we had a post office box there. And so uh, one day on my way home, I stopped by the post office, looked, and the box was empty. And so I, I went on home, and uh, I opened the door and came in the apartment, and there is... Nancy wearing this ridiculous-looking red and black hat with this great big grin on her face. And the first thing she said was, I went to the post office today. And I said, yes, I can see that. You know, I don't know whether I was more disappointed that the hat wasn't what I wanted the hat to be or whether she found the hat before I had the opportunity to give it to her. But nevertheless, that happens sometimes with our gifts. And so we are in a sermon series right now looking through the prophet Isaiah at several select passages leading up to uh, Christmas. And today we're going to see that Isaiah reveals a gift that God intends for you. And the good thing about this gift is it's not a secret. God is not trying to hide this gift from you. And the good news is that there is no waiting required for this gift. We don't have to wait until God decides to give us this gift. This gift is available to you, it's available to me, and it's available today. It's available right now. So the message we have today is to accept the gift of forgiveness that God makes available to you through Jesus. That's the message of Scripture, of God's Word this morning. Accept the gift of forgiveness that God makes available to you through His Son, Jesus Christ, today. Let me invite you to stand at this time, if you're able, in reverence for the reading of God's Holy Word. I'll be reading from Isaiah chapter 53. I'll be starting at verse 4. And the prophet writes these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Surely our griefs He Himself bore, and our sorrows He carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed Him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us 
has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before his shearers, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. As for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due. His grave was assigned with wicked men, yet he was with a rich man in his death because he had done no violence nor was there any deceit in his mouth. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your word today. We thank you that you speak truth. You speak power into our lives. You speak hope into our lives. God, you have given us a precious gift, the gift of forgiveness, the gift of eternal life, the gift of your Son. And we thank you, Father, that gift is available to each and every one of us. It's my prayer today, Lord, that there is someone here that's never opened that gift, someone who has never received that precious gift, that, Lord, through the power of your Spirit and through your Word, you would convict them of sin and show them the only way for salvation is through trusting in Jesus Christ. Father, speak through me a message of truth, a message of hope, a message of love, a message of grace. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Isaiah 53 is one of the most quoted and one of the most alluded to passages of the Old Testament that's found throughout the pages of the New Testament. There is some question about how to interpret this passage. Is, is Isaiah intend for the reader to see himself, Isaiah, as this suffering servant? Is the suffering servant meant to be an embodiment of Israel, God's people? How do we interpret this? Well, we are not left to our own devices of trying to figure this out because God shows us in the Word how we are to interpret. Who is He talking about? In the book of Acts chapter 8, the, one of the first deacons, a man by the name of Philip, was sent by God to, to minister and to, and to share the good news with an Ethiopian man who was in his chariot and he was reading aloud from the prophet Isaiah. And he comes up to this Ethiopian and, and Philip in verse 30 of Acts chapter 8 runs up to him and he's reading Isaiah the prophet and he says, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of Scripture which he was reading was this. He was led like a sheep to slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he does not open his mouth. His, in humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who will relate his generation for his life is removed from the earth. And the eunuch asked Philip and said, Please tell me, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. And it's an amazing thing because Philip is telling this man, and, and God is, is showing us through, uh, through Isaiah the prophet that he's speaking about the promised Messiah, the promised Savior, and Isaiah is writing these things some 700 years before Christ was even born. So through the power of God, Isaiah is predicting what one day would become a reality. 
in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. This is what uh, scholars consider to be the fourth servant song in the book of Isaiah. And we have before us here a, 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 a chapter break in, in between 52 and 53, and we've looked at it before that these, these chapter numbers and verse numbers were added later to help us to, to understand and help us to, to, to find the Scriptures. But sometimes these chapter breaks are unfortunate, and this happens to be one of those because chapter 53 is really a continuation of the end of chapter 52. So beginning in chapter 52, verse 13, all the way through the end of chapter 53, we have a servant song, a, a song that contains five stanzas. And each of these stanzas have three verses. And the first verse is really the one that, uh, that emphasizes what that stanza is about. And then the second two verses explain what the first verse intends. And we see in this servant song a, a song about the Messiah, a song about the, the gift of Christmas that God has given to us through Jesus Christ. First of all, we see in the first stanza at the end of chapter 52, the Messiah's honor, his honor. And we know it's proper to recognize one to whom honor is due. And we see that in this song. First of all, we see his honor based upon his servanthood. Chapter 52, verse 13, Behold, look at, uh, gaze upon. This is something important to, to, to make sure you understand. Behold, my servant. Who is he speaking about? Again, Philip says he's speaking about Jesus. Speaking about the Messiah. The one who has come not to be served, but Jesus said he came to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Behold, my servant will prosper a lot of confusion about what prosperity means. Prosperity, according to the Bible, is faithfulness to God. Faithfulness to God's Word, specifically. Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, God tells Joshua this. He says, This book of the law, the Scripture, shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you will be careful to do according to all that's written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have success. Prosperity and success are not based upon world's goods. It's based upon faithfulness to God and to His Word. The Messiah deserves honor for that. His servanthood. He says that you will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. But then he explains that further. What does this prosperity, what does this exaltation of the servant look like? Why does he deserve honor? Just as many... We're astonished at you, my people. So his appearance was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. His appearance marred, disfigured, beyond human recognition. Why? Verse 15, the result of this, thus he will sprinkle many nations. So he's worthy of honor based on his servanthood that leads to his sanctification his cleansing, his sprinkling, his washing of his people to remove their sins from them. It's the language of sacrifice. We read in the Old Testament that, that the lamb was slaughtered and then his blood was sprinkled as a sign that the people's sins were to be forgiven because of the sacrifice and their faith in God demonstrated in that sacrifice. 
His sprinkling many nations, not just one group of people, not just the Jewish people, but all nations, many nations. The book of Revelation says every tribe, tongue, and nation God draws to Himself. It's through the sprinkling of this servant that these nations are cleansed. Kings will shut their mouths. It's a hard thing for rulers to keep their mouths shut, isn't it? We've become even more so aware of that in recent days. Kings will shut their mouths on account of Him. For what had not been told them, they will see, and what they had not heard, they will understand. He will make it so, the servant will make it so, that all nations come to understand who He is and the honor that He deserves. It's right to recognize those to whom honor is due. We made mention of it last week, but Brother Gary Riddle recently retired, and I saw he received a plaque honoring his many years of faithful service. And that's right. That's a good thing. But here we see in this servant song that the, the Messiah, that Jesus is exalted by the Father for His faithful service. His service of sprinkling the nations to cleanse them of their sin. The Messiah's honor. And then the second stanza, we see the Messiah's humanity. How this, this cleansing of the nations is to take place. It's to take place because Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. We see the Messiah's humanity. That's what we celebrate here at Christmas. The, we call it the incarnation that God takes upon flesh. The Word of God becomes flesh and dwelt among us and lived in this world with us. And, and, and Isaiah says, first of all, the message was spoken. The message of God's plan was spoken. It says, who has believed our message? And the answer is, not many. To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And again, the answer is, not many. There is a message that has been spoken through the prophets, a message that's been spoken through Jesus. There is a message that continually has been spoken through the church, and unfortunately, not many has heard. Not many have understood this message. God's promised hope is not always well received. And why is that? He explains and says, the man the servant of God, was scorned. He was scorned because he was not what the people expected. He was not what the people wanted. He was not what we would perceive a mighty ruler and a hero to be or to look like. He explains it in verses 2 and 3. He says, Our message was not believed. The arm of the Lord has not been revealed for because... He, the servant, the Messiah, grew up before Him, the Lord. He grew up before God like a tender shoot. It's not always the, the imagery we think of when we think about a conquering hero, a, a tender blade of grass growing up out of the ground. And not just any ground, he says, and like a root out of parched ground. Looks like there is no hope for that root at all in, in, a, in a very dry and a very dark in scary time, this shoot grows up before God. This Messiah, born into this world, grows up into this world. And He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon Him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to Him. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that Jesus was ugly from a human point of view. 
It just means from man's perspective, he was not what we would expect. A savior, a mighty conquering king to look like or to act like. He did not come with this glorious fanfare the first time around and praise God for your soul's sake. He did not come that way the first time. Instead, he came in a humble way as a baby born in a manger to a poor family to live a life of sinlessness in our place. Verse 3, he was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And we would say, now how, how can he save us from our sorrows when he himself was acquainted with sorrows? He's got his own problems to deal with. How can he save me from my problems? Like one from whom men hide their face, again, he was despised. And then the prophet includes himself and says, and we did not esteem him. You may think, now you esteem him, but that was not always the case. When you heard this message of Jesus being born in Bethlehem, you hear this message of Jesus being born and living as one of us, and, and you hear this message about him dying to save you from your sins, you did not always esteem that message. And there are many that still do not. And Isaiah reminds us that we ourselves did not always esteem him as he deserves. We esteemed him not. The man was scorned. In the Old Testament, we read about Israel desiring a king. They wanted a king to, to rule over them like all the other nations had. And we still have that same problem, do we not? We want to be like everybody else. Well, they've got this kind of vehicle. They've got that size home. or they, they're, well, they're wearing these kind of designer clothes. And, and I've got to be just like these other people. Israel wanted to fit in. They wanted a king. And, and their qualifications for choosing a king, they found a man who was tall, head and shoulders above the rest of them. And they said, that fellow Saul right there, he's a good-looking man. He's what a king ought to look like. And based on outer appearances, that's the man they wanted to rule over them. But unfortunately, in God's agenda, things are not always as they appear. Saul, of course, turns out to be a man who turned his back on God rejected by God and David ultimately was a man selected a young man a shepherd the youngest of his brothers God chooses him you know we serve an unconventional God doesn't always do things the way you expect doesn't always do things the way you want but he always does things according to his perfect and divine will. We see the Messiah's humanity. There's a song that says it's, it's a, such a strange way to save the world. If I were to devise a plan to save humanity, I would not have chosen that route. But praise God he did. The Messiah's humanity. and The reason why his humanity is found in verses 4 through 6. The Messiah's harm. The Messiah's harm. He was Incarnated, He became one of us to sympathize with humanity. He was a man familiar with pain and sorrow and grief. Are you hurting? Have you been betrayed? Have you lost someone near and dear to you? He has experienced all of these things. He has experienced pain and sorrow and suffering. 
He has walked a mile in your shoes. You have a God that personally relates to you on your level. He's been there. He's done that. No other God. No other God can say that. He came to sympathize for us, but even more importantly, He came to be a sacrifice for us. You see, Isaiah talks about the Messiah's harm in verses 4 and following. And the reason why He suffered such harm was for us. There are ten times in these next three verses, ten times Isaiah uses the first person plural pronoun. Us, we, our, ten times. The Messiah suffered these things for us. First of all, He bore our sorrows. In verse 4, Surely, certainly, He did this for us. Surely, our griefs, our sickness, He Himself bore. Our sorrows, our pains, He carried. He did this for us, and yet we ourselves esteemed Him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. We have this crazy notion that when something bad happens to me or something bad happens to someone else, we automatically assume, well, God's punishing. God's punishing me because I sinned. God's punishing them because they sinned. And when those saw Jesus crucified on the cross, beaten and bloodied, they looked upon Him and they said, yes, God's giving that man what he deserves. God's punishing him. He's smitten by God. And Isaiah reminds us that, yes, he was punished by God, but not for his sins, for our sins. He himself bore our sorrows. He bore our suffering, verse 5. But, even though we considered him this way, but he was pierced through for our transgressions. Literally, our rebellions. He was crushed for our iniquities, our twistedness, our perversions. He was crushed because we could not live a life that lined up with God. We lived a life of twistedness. And He was crushed for that. The chastening for our well-being, for our peace, the punishment that brings us peace fell upon Him. That's why Paul says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus suffered and died. Jesus bore the wrath of God upon Himself so that you could have peace with God. He did this for you. By His scourging, by His stripes, we are healed. His piercing, His crushing, his chastening, His scourging was all for you. For your transgressions, your iniquities, for your peace, for your healing. He bore our sorrows. He bore the wrath of God. He bore our sin, verse 6. This is, this is the entirety of the gospel. 
contained in the Old Testament. It's almost as if Isaiah himself was looking directly at Jesus hanging on the cross with the full understanding of what was happening, who he was, and why he was there. He bore our sin. Verse 6, All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. It's the idea of, of human depravity, of our sin nature. Every single one of us, according to Scripture, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Isaiah draws that out. That we might think we're right with God. We might think that God is happy and God is pleased with us. And he says, yet, like sheep, we have all gone astray. Sheep are, are dumb animals. And that's us. We have all, like sheep, like dumb animals, turned away from God. We've turned not to God's way, but our own way. Scripture says there is a way that seems right to man, but in the end is destruction. We've all turned to our own way. That's who we are. We are sinners by nature. But then the very next statement here, but the Lord. It's like, it's like Paul when he writes in, in Ephesians chapter 2 that we were by nature children of, children of wrath and sons of disobedience, but God, being rich in mercy with the great love with which He loved us. By grace we are saved. And Isaiah says, All of us have gone astray. All of us have turned our own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity, the twistedness of us all to do what? To fall on Him. To be thrown and cast upon Him. When Jesus hung and died on the cross, He did that for your iniquities. He did that for your infirmities. He did that for your injuries. They've all fallen upon Him on the cross if we would receive that sacrifice by faith. On Thursday, I had the privilege of going with my family to uh, the Singletary Center at the UK campus to watch a ballet performance of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. This is an adaptation of the C.S. Lewis novel and in that story from C.S. Lewis, there's these children, one of which named Edmund, and Edmund breaks his word, breaks his, his, his promise, his agreement with the white witch, and, and the payment of death is deserved. But in this story, the, the great king, the lion Aslan, agrees to take Edmund's place, to be his substitute, to allow Edmund to continue to live, he himself becomes a sacrifice. Justice must be paid. And out of love and out of grace, Aslan agrees to take Edmund's place. Folks, that's Jesus Christ. It's exactly what he's done for you what he's done for me we've all like sheep gone astray we've all turned our own ways but the Lord but the Lord God in his justice could have condemned every single one of us to hell but in his mercy the Lord caused the iniquities of us all to fall upon Jesus on the cross the Messiah's harm then the fourth 
stands that we read about the Messiah's humility. Even though he suffered and even though he bore our sorrows, he himself was innocent, yet he suffered willingly for us. He was an innocent sacrifice. And we might say, wow, what a, what a victim he was. No, he chose willingly to do this. He was silent, we read about, first of all, in verse 7. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet, he did not open his mouth. You think about that. He did not open his mouth against his oppressors, those afflicting him. He did not curse his oppressors, nor did he curse his God that allowed him to be found in that situation. He did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter, like a sheep that is silent before its shears. We read about this language of a lamb and slaughter. It reminds us of the Old Testament sacrificial system, but it also reminds us how Jesus on the cross fulfilled all of those requirements. In John 1.29, John the Baptist says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And also we read about in the book of Revelation chapter 5 verse 6 that John saw in heaven a lamb that was standing as if slain. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, was led to slaughter, yet he did not open his mouth against his oppressors nor against his God. And Jesus himself he said, I could call down twelve legions of angels to my defense. And yet he remained silent. Why did he remain silent? Because he was submissive. Verses 8 and 9. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. As for his generation, who considered he was cut off from the land of the living. He did not deserve this. He allowed himself to be taken. He allowed himself to be beaten. He allowed himself to be crucified. He allowed himself to be murdered and killed. And it says, for the transgressions, the rebellion of my people, God says, of his people to whom the stroke was due. His grave was assigned with wicked men, and he was with a rich man in his death. And we, we read this, and it reminds us in the Gospels how Jesus was buried in a borrowed tomb, a tomb belonging to Joseph of Arimathea. A man eventually began seeking and, and devoting himself to Jesus. And then we're reminded at the end of verse 9, he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. He suffered unjust treatments, obedient to the point of death. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 8, Paul says, obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus was obedient. It's important for us in life to have good role models. We know this. If we want to be successful, one thing we can do is find people in our lives that have been successful, people that have achieved what we hope to achieve, people that have accomplished what we hope to accomplish, and follow them and their example in success. But I would argue biblically it's important to also have good role models, not only for success, but in suffering find individuals in our lives who suffer and they suffer well. 
Not that they enjoy suffering, but they endure suffering. They endure suffering by trusting in, believing in, and having faith in God. You see, that's what Jesus did. Through His silence and through His submission to what He knew was the Father's will for Him, He endured the worst kind of shame. He endured the worst kind of pain. And He was submissive because He had faith. He had faith that that this was not the end. He had faith that through His obedience He would find prosperity and success according to God's design. Not according to the world's picture. Because according to the world's perception, He would not have been born the way He was born. He would not have lived the lifestyle that He lived. He certainly would have died the death that He died. But He was submissive to God's plan, God's design on His life. Paul talks about he was obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And then after that, Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 9, Therefore, because of his faithfulness and trust in God, therefore also God highly exalted him, bestowed on him the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee would bow, those in heaven, on earth, under the earth, every tongue would confess Jesus Christ as Lord to the glory of God the Father. That exaltation did not happen until after the submission. For you to be lifted up and exalted in the economy of God, you have got to be submissive to the will of God, whatever that is for you. For Jesus, it meant the cross. Praise God for us. We need not atone for our own sins. Yet we do face suffering in this life and in this world. And we've got to learn to suffer well. What better example to look at than Jesus who unjustly suffered on your behalf to fulfill the the Father's will for Him. So we've seen His honor because of His humanity which led to his harm based on his humility. And finally, the fifth stanza, we see the Messiah's hope. God's glorious plan for him and God's glorious plan for you in him, his love is displayed for you and for me because of the work of the Messiah. We see in verse 10, first of all, it's the will of the sovereign. God in his sovereign plan decreed this to be so. In verse 10, even though He suffered unjustly, but the Lord was pleased. The will of God, Romans 12, 2, talks about the will of God being good and perfect and pleasing. It's not always pleasing from our perspective, but to God, His will is pleasing. And it pleased the Lord to do what? To crush Him. Putting Him to grief. If He would render Himself as a guilt offering, God's plan was for Jesus to suffer in your place so that he would see his offspring. You can't help but think about the growth of the church and all of the people who have come to put their faith in Jesus, all of those who have been born again and and how Jesus, because of his obedience and dying for them, God allows him to see his spiritual offspring. And God prolongs His days. And I believe this is an allusion to the resurrection of Christ. Even though He was cut off from the land of the living, God prolonged His days. How? He raised Him from the dead. This is a a song of victory. 
as we continue to read this, it was the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in His hand. Prosperity, faithfulness to God. God blesses faithfulness. God prospers obedience. It's the will of the sovereign. Finally, verses 11 and 12, we have hope because of His work for the sinners. As a result of the anguish of His soul, first there was anguish then he will see it and be satisfied. After the anguish came the satisfaction. Whatever it is you're going through in life, as a follower of God, as a Christian, as one who is born again, as a child of the Lord, after affliction, the promise is there comes satisfaction. And it may not come in this lifetime, but it will come. It was the Lord's good pleasure as a result of His anguish. As a result of His anguish based on faithfulness, He will see it and be satisfied. By His knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify many. It's through a knowledge of who Jesus is and a knowledge of what Jesus has done. It's through a knowledge of the gospel and an acceptance of that good news that we are justified. That even though our iniquities, even though our transgressions, even though our griefs and our sorrows, even though we have those things because we have turned away from God, He bore those for us so that we might be sprinkled by the blood of the Lamb and we might be justified in the sight of a holy God. And we don't deserve it. It's what the gift is. It's grace. By His knowledge... He will justify the many as He will bear their iniquities, their twistedness. He bears it so that through the knowledge of that action we might be justified before God. Verse 12, Therefore, because of Him bearing our iniquities and because of that, of that justification, therefore, and here comes the victory, here comes the conquering King, therefore, God says, I will allot him a portion with the great. He will divide the spoil with the strong. Why? Because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he himself bore the sin of many and he interceded, he prayed for, he came between. He's the mediator between us and God. He interceded for the transgressors. The spoils of victory belong to him not because he was great and powerful according to the world's standards. The spoils of victory and the exaltation belongs to him because he was faithful to the Heavenly Father. What a valuable lesson that is for us. And there are five stanzas in this song. His exaltation because of His incarnation, which led to His crucifixion by an act of submission, leads to eventually, ultimately, your salvation. Therefore, you are to accept the gift of forgiveness that God makes available to you through Jesus. After all He's done for you, how could you reject Him? At Christmas time, one of the things that we've done throughout the years as we attend these Christmas parties and there's these games we play with, with gift exchanges and everybody brings a gift with them and a gift that's wrapped and nobody knows what's in it and some of the gifts are desirable 
others not so much. And part of the fun is you don't know what's inside each gift. And, and you roll the dice and, and you can switch gifts with somebody else if, if their gift looks more appealing or it looks bigger, the, the wrapping paper is shinier. And, and ooh, I want that. And, and you can switch gifts or, or hold on to yours. And the game goes on and on. And at the end, when everybody opens it up, you realize whether or not you made a, a good choice or a, a poor one. My question for you this morning is, what do you do with this gift that's called Jesus Christ? There are many that looks at that and says, I don't like that gift. It does not have the appearance of something that's appealing to me. I would rather have this over here. I would rather have my, my own perspective. I'd rather have my own lifestyle. I'd, ever, I'd rather have my own way of doing things and just kind of hope that if there is a God, somehow he grades on a curve and, and I'll be okay in the end. I'd, I'd rather just hang on to, to my gift. Whereas there's others who realize their gift is hollow and it's empty. I have nothing. I don't even have coal in my stocking. Nothing of, of any value or significance that I have to bring to God. And God doesn't judge on a curve and I have nothing and I stand condemned before a holy God. I'm hopeless and I'm helpless. God have mercy on me. And then they see God's hand extended with this gift. From the outside, it looks like it's ugly. It's, it's, it's brown paper sack. And it just looks like it's, it's not appealing. But inside that gift is the greatest treasure of all. It's Jesus Christ. What are you going to do with this gift that God is extending to you this morning? Foolishly hang on to your own or let go of your life and choose the life that God has offered to you in Christ Jesus. The bottom line, according to Isaiah in this passage, His substitution gave us salvation. He shows us you deserve hell. But graciously, God is offering you heaven. And it all depends on whether or not you receive this Christmas gift that is Jesus, the Messiah. Let's pray together.